Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey now. Hey, alright. And we're back to hitting the books. Uh, today we're talking about Wicked and Preternatural Awakening by D.K. Gaston. Hopefully I said that correctly. Gaston. Uh, Gaston. No one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I knew he was a character from that movie, but I don't know the fucking songs. <laughs> You're like all in on this Disney thing. You're like, Disney bought Star Wars. I'm 100%. Nah, I, I only know it because there was a, a, a Deadpool parody, which was kind of funny. Uh, the narrator of Wicked and Preternatural Awakening is Kyla Williams. Uh, this is available through Audible. Uh, DK was kind enough to send us codes for review. There we go. That's uh, full disclosure. That's the word I'm looking for. Disclosure that uh, we were gifted copies. The Pelagic Argosy Sites Land. That's the code. <laughs> It's still the code. It's an older code, but it checks out. <laughs> oh, and yeah, before we uh, we start with everything, I just wanted to give a big shout out to Donald Walters. Donald Walters over there at the Icons Superhero Role Playing Group for shouting us out for our yeah, actual thanks. plays of Tales of the Laughing Fishwife and Reflection of a Paragon. Yeah, thanks, Donald. Um, it's glad someone listens. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Check your mailbox. Your no prize is on the way. All right. That was, right. That, was, that was our shout-out. That was our shout-out. <laughs> We're so professional. Yeah. So, Wicked and Preternatural, or Awakening. Uh, this is an urban fantasy book dealing with the main character of Zoe Daniels, a professional monster hunter. Yes, she is. Uh, it's not often you see these types of urban fantasies where the main character is a professional. It's usually they start off with this person has no idea what's going on the, you know, the world underneath the candy coated topping, and then they're brought into this. No, Zoe right. is a professional. She gets paid. It's also not often that um, you have a protagonist from one of these novels that isn't a teenager in a school. That's true. Magic, magic and witchcraft. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or, or some type of teenager with special abilities. Uh, yeah. I, I know the son of a demigod born in the suburbs. Right. A camp. That's a camp. Yep. But yeah, often these urban fantasy books are geared towards young adult audiences. I know there's gotta be, uh, well, Neil, Neil Gaiman writes a few that are geared towards um, adults. But but like you said, it's usually the main character kind of gets sucked into the world mm -hmm. as opposed to um, an old hat at the world. Almost kind of working to prevent the rest of the world from knowing what's going on. She's like on Muggle Patrol. Right, right. Uh, this is a story... Uh, you know, it, it borrows a lot from, from a lot of supernatural detectives and this sort of thing. Uh, Zoe is professional. She takes clients much like Philip Marlowe or Sam Spade and Jessica Jones, Jessica Jones. um, not quite Hellblazer. You know, we haven't heard anybody 
borrowing a heck of a lot from that particular book. But it's that type of, you know, supernatural detective with an attitude. Right. Uh, Zoe is definitely has a mind of her own. Well, she's the protagonist. Well, yeah, but I mean, (laughs) she's not like, she doesn't uh, stand on too many social graces. She's like, look, you, you know, you called me, all right? So. Yeah, she's definitely of that. I wouldn't say she's hard-boiled. I think she's a little bit more modern than that hard-boiled cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, yeah, she's definitely independent. Um, and strug- I think a little bit of struggling mm-hmm. to prove to everyone that she is capable and independent. She's capable, she's independent, and she's just as good at this as anybody else. Uh, even though she's kind of fallen on some rough times here. Yes. She's fallen on rough times. And uh, the curious thing, I don't think a lot of people get along with her. No, no, not because really. Because you come to you come to find out that um, there are other monster hunters, that, and they all work in teams. <laughs> that's right. That's right. She's, she's definitely not a member of Monster, monster Hunters Local 472. Right, she is not part of the Scooby Crew, the Mystery, whatever they call it, Mystery Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and and she actually says that you know she her ex her ex boyfriend is a member of a of a crew, um, and they get stuff done mm-hmm. because you have people watching your back against vampires. You kind of want that, but she might be just acerbic enough that she doesn't keep friends in her own profession. Right. Right. She's she's a bit of a loose cannon, as it were. Well, and I think she goes through um, some inner turmoil about this, um, where she questions, um, not necessarily, well, yeah, she does question her abilities, um, which is kind of contrary to type. Mm. Uh, you don't have a lot of Philip Marlowe's or Jessica Jones with self-doubts. Right. Uh, um, and she, she questions, um, you know, a lot of stuff about, about her life and, and how she's running it. And that may be because, like you said, she's kind of at rock bottom when, when we look at this. Right, right. When we meet her, she is kind of at rock bottom. Uh, hadn't eaten in a few days. Uh, stomach's rumbling. She takes a job uh, for an old lady to look for a child. And then we go into, uh, basically, it's kind of a subverted evil child story. You know, we, yeah, it's... We, we, we're we're kind of teased, and then we get a switcheroo about halfway through. The, which, that's always kind of nice, too. That Yeah, you, you, get, you get this, um, I need you to find my, my magical grandson. Mm-hmm. Who uh, must not be let out into the world because he's evil. That's right. He'll destroy the world. And you know um, that this this woman who hires her is uh, sincere because she lives in a magic house. That's right. She lives in a magic house. She uh, magically makes cookies. She magically makes cookies, but like the house changes. Mm-hmm. Um. She, it's almost like the X Mansion. It's got like the danger room, right? Is is it's the X Mansion crossed with the House of Mystery? 
Right. Yes. <laughs> Which is, you know, it, it's kind of cool. It's it's a little tropey, but it's kind of cool. Um, right. Reconfiguring this because you you don't expect to have like uh, obstacle courses in like in like the you know the mystery house. Right. You, or... you expect you expect like things to jump out at you. It's like. This is like uh, making sand checks in the first session of a Call of Cthulhu game. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, but it's kind of a cool house. But like, she, but it does serve a purpose to have the house like this. It kind of reinforces the fact that Zoe may be in over her head uh, because she says that, like, you know, there's a lot of walking and climbing, and and you know, to get through to where she needs to be inside this house, and she can't do it. Right. It's just push yourself physically to get around in this house. That's right. I really need to spend more time at the gym. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it, you, you get this feeling that Zoe, um, it, it just reinforces that she's at rock bottom. She's mm-hmm. out of shape. She's a monster hunter and she's out of shape. Right. Right. She's um, out of shape. She's, she's out of cash. Out of money, yeah. And it, it's so, just, so, it, you, you you get the setup where she needs to take this job. It doesn't matter how shitty of a job it is. She needs to take this job. And she ends up getting uh, half up front, right? Right. And the woman pays her in, like, ancient Egyptian coinage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like archaeology, archaeologists wet dream Egyptian coinage. That belongs in the museum, Egyptian coinage. That's right. Indiana Jones comes in in chapter two and punches her in the head and takes her money. <laughs> but um, she she finds out that each one of these coins, and she's got like a dozen of them, mm-hmm. is worth uh, like, what, $100,000? Was that it? Uh, plenty it of, a lot money. of money. It was a lot of money. Uh, and she does the calculations in her head, and she even thinks to herself, "This is too good to be true." <laughs> but she has to take the job because, like, really, everything has gone wrong in her life, and mm-hmm. she needs she needs the money. She and if you've read any detective fiction, if something is good to be too good to be true, it is. Not right. it probably and- is. It is. <laughs> Let that be a lesson for all you people who uh, are buying stuff online. That's right. <laughs> um, that right. But, but it's not only the money that she needs, but she needs the job. She needs to complete the job itself. That's right. That's it's a right. self-esteem issue as well. And and you kind of go through this and you realize that like her self-esteem is like the biggest victim of all of this. Is She questions whether she is... Um, capable. Mm-hmm. Right. She's, Even she's, though she's had a long history of monster hunting and as as kind of a freelancer floating in and out of this adventure, that adventure, uh, this book is replete with examples of, you know, last time on The Tales of Zoe. Yeah, and it's cool because I don't even know if these if these books have been written. Right. Or if they've or if uh, they're to be written or what, but it does, it's like that shortcut to world building Yep. that, uh, that works so well is you, um, you know, you hint at something. Right. 
you allude to events that took place before. Right. And, and you know, it, that fleshes out the character. Yeah, we don't know how she did the thing, but she did the thing. Right. Right. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that is why... Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. That's why Star Wars is a good... Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. She <laughs> calms down. Um, and in this story, you know, not only is she at rock bottom, but like she's getting gaslit by her ex-boyfriend. Right. Who basically breaks into her apartment and tells her she ain't shit because he wants to get back with her. Because, you know, that always works. Right, right. <laughs> and she almost falls for it because he's fine as fuck. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, okay, I, let's get real. This is a, uh, you know, a fantasy, horror-ish um, action adventure book. Mm-hmm. You might as well put a sign on it that says "No ugly people allowed." That's true. Everybody, everybody everyone, is good looking in their own in, way. No, everyone's good looking in, in every way in this book, except for the <laughs> villains. No, even the villains are good looking. Really? Yeah. Well, when they drop their their disguises, right? So, trying to keep it spoiler free. But um, but there's definitely some shape shifting going on. Mm-hmm. Now some identity shifting. Now this is this is a rip roaring adventure. Uh, it is it is fast paced. There's a lot of action. Uh, it does have a few blemishes. That's true. Um, one one being and and this is one and it's been kind of a source of entertainment um, at the house for a few days, and that is the simile. <laughs> um, sorry, DK, but the similes are a bit much. Uh, I, it's really hard to describe, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of similes in there. Uh, I, they're not always would, necessary, and it does it is kind of jarring. Would you say that the similes are like a buzz saw in your head? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. It's not like. They're a little jarring at times, uh, particularly in audio. Something that might have you know read better visually on a page uh, doesn't translate well, uh, particularly with uh, a third-person narrator. Uh, there are times I was listening to the book and thinking to myself that this might have originally been drafted as a first-person narration and then switched to third-person narration. At some point, uh, simply because you know the the simile seemed like it would be better coming directly out of Zoe's mouth rather than from this omniscient narrator. I could see that. It would add a little bit more color to the character that way. You know, the almost yeah. I mean, there's some there's some pop culture references and and things. Uh, the other thing that really bothers me and i've said this about a couple of stories is product placement you know when a character comes in and they're on a motorcycle i i really don't need to know exactly what brand of motorcycle it is unless harley davidson is paying you to put their name in your book well yeah if harley davidson's paying you then fuck yeah 
But uh, yeah, I mean, just in general, I I agree one hundred percent. It I know that it can um, help to to place the setting um, and ground it mm-hmm. in the familiar, right? But I I think like one or two might be cool, mm-hmm. but like cons every every time you pick up a soda, I don't need to know if it's a Coke or a Pepsi. Right, right. Well, or what, what brand of beer or or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, and and maybe that's just me, but I think less is more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the same goes with the pop culture reps. Yeah, I, I'm definitely of the uh, Repo Man school of product placement. <laughs> beer, beer. You know, if you've <laughs> ever seen that movie, you know everything is just is. Super generic, generic white packaging beer, macaroni and cheese. Yes. 35 millimeter film, whatever it happens to be, it is just super <laughs> generic and it's a running gag through the whole film. Uh, but it yeah. really only work on works um, in a visual medium. I, I agree. I like pop culture references. Mm-hmm. I just, too many of them kind of, um, it's, it distracts from the flow of conversation. Right. And I, I and I know a lot of people do, you know, make references when they're when they're talking to other people. I do it. You do it. We all do it. Uh, we've done it at but, least seven times since this episode started. <laughs> that's true. But it, 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 it isn't every everything we say is isn't related immediately back to um you know, Star Wars. Unless it's Monty Python, then everything has uh, to. Be. Well, yes, if you're if you're role playing, yes. If you're playing <laughs> D everything goes back to Monty Python. That's like an unwritten. That's like Appendix N or whatever. Right. Actually, it, Appendix M. Appendix M and P. Wah, wah. Um. Yes. Yeah. Now, as as far as the motorcycle goes, I you know I was thinking about it while we were talking, and. Yeah, I guess that is kind of a a nod to all of the detectives and their trademark vehicles. You you had Magnum PI and his Ferrari. You had the guys in Supernatural with the uh, Impala. Um, yeah. Really, they had Impala. I think it was that's an Impala. Their, that's their their signature vehicle is an Impala. Yep. What was the budget of that damn show? Uh, I'm sorry. Probably about a quarter million dollars an episode. It's an old Impala. It was like a 69 or something like that. It's kind of cool. You know, Ash Williams and his Oldsmobile. Yeah, the, Ash Williams and his Oldsmobile. Everything Sam Raimi has ever done and his Oldsmobile. Including the Quick and the Dead. Yes, the Oldsmobile is in the Quick and the Dead. Uncle Ben's Oldsmobile. Uncle Ben's Oldsmobile. Yeah, everything Sam Raimi does has to have that one car. And I can understand that you want your main character, you know, to have kind of an iconic vehicle. Right. To have something distinctive. Right. And and really the motorcycle by brand is only mentioned in the first chapter. And once you have a good image of what that motorcycle looks like, then it it works on works on that kind of level. But then again, you know, when a character rolls up on a motorcycle. I have an image in my head of what that motorcycle looks like. Yeah, and it's always a Harley, anyway. Generally speaking, yes, 
Harley or a Kawasaki Ninja, something like that. Well, that's in like that's if it's a like a cyber. Thank you for the check, Kawasaki. <laughs> and Didn't hero protagonist drive a Kawasaki. Yes, I think so. <laughs> now, that's probably those 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 two things were probably the the main things that kind of stuck in my craw. Uh, the let's talk about the narration a little bit. The production quality, of course, is is pretty standard. Uh, there were no uh, mouth noises or stuttering. No, no, the recording was done well. Uh, as as you know, I have this thing. Uh, if you guys were listening to the last couple of audio books that we discussed, uh, where people have moist mouth noises as they talk. We need ASMR audiobook stat. Right, which no, we do not. Um, and that was a, that was a very pleasant <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> and now our narrator, Kyla Williams, she does the characterizations very well. Um, almost like she is a, a voice actor or an aspiring voice. Each character had a unique voice over the course mm-hmm. of the story. Um, mm-hmm. There were times that Zoe kind of slipped into a drawl, you know, that I thought she might have been from Atlanta rather than Detroit, which is, which is cool. I, I like, I like that. I like characters that have unique vocal quirks and, and Kyla does really well at voicing the characters. Uh, I believe she kind of drags a little bit on the just the generic narration. I think if if Zoe had a Michigan accent that nasally, that would have grated on me. Like, yeah, the end of- yeah. <laughs> uh, I so, sorry, people in, in in Michigan and, and Detroit, but he's not sorry. No, not really. <laughs> but that would be it. I mean, if if this book was an audio production. Uh, I would hope that uh, Kyla comes in and plays uh, the witch because she she nails you know that what? character. That character like stood out to me for some reason as my particular favorite character in the book. I think the witch um, needs to have her own story because she's led an interesting life. And just this is how the less is more world building is so great. Mm hmm. Because I probably would read it and go, God, I didn't want to know that. But the tease of, you know, how she came to be a fortune teller instead of a a full-blown witch sounds like a great story. Right. How she's supposed to be hiding out from this cult and she has an online coven. I've got, like, all these, like, things going on in my head and how cool it must have been with, like, car chases and blood sacrifices and all sorts of stuff. Right. <laughs> um, and, and you know, it was like a couple throwaway lines in the book that like just established what their friendship was, was like. Right, right. And it was really cool. Right. And she makes a lot of pop culture reference. She's a straight up nerd. Yeah, she a is. 220 something year old nerd. Yeah. She's in the cosplay. <laughs> she watches Buffy and, the yeah. Vampire Hunter. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Slayer. One of those. Buffy's a Slayer. Yeah. 
that was like the big um it, it was the conversations between Zoe and the, I forgot the witch's name. It was another Z word. ZZ. Between them, it was like the pop culture references were flying. They were flying, and there were usually ones Zoe didn't understand, which yes. made it even more funny. She was great comic relief. Uh, she stole pretty much every scene she was in. To me, and, though, that's that's where it kind of dragged a little bit with the pop culture references, and I know it was like to light, lighten everything up, but it was just a little, a little too much. Right, right. As as uh, Amadeus said to Salieri, too many notes. But I, I think um, I think Kyla's performance as as that character also uh, seemed like really grabbed her. And, yeah, no, no. And I that, agree. that kind of that contributed to this character stealing the the stage. I think that character is worthy of her own book. Maybe not the background because um, that would kind of ruin it. But um, you know, as it stands, I mean, minor spoiler alert. She's now on this cult's radar again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or she should be. Right. Just just saying. Just saying. But uh, there you go. That's that's really all of my complaints uh, with the book itself. Right. Uh, you know, so maybe just like uh, a, a, an editing pass. That, that's... I think it could have stood... Um, another pass with the editing just to pare down some things. Mm. I think that that would have um, just helped a lot. Just mm. made it, you know, just cut back a little bit on the pop culture references, maybe trim a simile here and there, uh, shore up the, um, the tense, you know, the, con- the, the confusion between omniscience and first person, mm-hmm. shore that up a little bit, just make it tighter. Right, 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 and and I think you know you have like a a not that it was a bad book, but then you go from like a good book to like a really good book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just it'd be it'd be a little more solid. Yeah. But uh, it is available on Audible. Uh, so yep. if you have Audible, go ahead and uh, check it out. Uh, we'll have you a link also- in the description. Oh. You can you can also buy the you know the book book the on book Amazon. book that's true. I mean, I know you you have a job where you drive a lot, so audiobooks are pretty convenient for you. I listen to a ton of audiobooks, um, just because that's what. I, yeah, I drive a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Right, I, I do not drive for my job, so when I listen to an audiobook, I have to do it here at the house. Uh, thankfully I have taken up the hobby of miniature painting and had a box of Skaven that I had gotten to paint while I was listening to this book. So otherwise I have to sit there and actually listen 100% just basically staring at the screen and that kills me. (laughs) So, um, so this audio book is also available on Apple. Mm hmm. So you can grab it on Audible, iTunes, and uh, pretty much anywhere audiobooks or physical books online. Yeah. So you go check it out there. That's Wicked and Preternatural Awakening by D.K. Gaston. 
And uh, we'll see you guys next time. That's right. Keep them.